Almighty God, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So Clive Waring is a British subject. He is in his 80s now, lives in England. He was a musicologist and a very accomplished musician. However, since 1985, he has suffered almost total amnesia as the result of a viral infection which attacked his central nervous system. And it destroyed the hippocampus portion of the brain, which is responsible for memory function. And as a result, Clive Waring is unable to form memories. His memory of any event lasts for only 20 to 30 seconds, and then he totally forgets it. So about every 20 or 30 seconds during his waking hours, he believes he has just awakened from a comatose state. He doesn't know you, he doesn't know where he is, every 20 or 30 seconds. That's his life. Everything becomes new for him every half minute or so. So if you're talking with him, after 20 or 30 seconds, he doesn't know you anymore, and he wonders why you're in a conversation with him. He lives without any sense of the past. He cannot read a book, because after he's finished a sentence or two, it's forgotten, and the sentence he's now reading doesn't make any sense, because it's disconnected from what came before. Now today, it's popular to hear about people living in the moment, you know. I'm gonna live in the moment. Well, that's all Clive Waring does. That's all he has is the moment. No awareness of what went before. Without an awareness of what went before, nothing in the present makes any sense at all, nothing. And so, in your sermon outline for this morning, page 11 in your worship bulletin, Roman numeral one, memory is essential to life. It's essential to life. Clive Waring cannot live on his own. He has to be under 24, seven, 365 care. You can't live without memory. Letter A, without recollection of the past, you can't make sense of the present. You can't. I, I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was working late at the church one evening, and I was trying to get a sermon idea, and it wasn't working, you know, and, and finally I just gave up. It was like 1.30 or so in the morning, and I thought, I'm just going to go home, and I got in my car, I turned the key in the ignition and it wouldn't start. And I thought to myself, 
why won't this car start? You know, it, it, it can't be the battery. The battery's pretty new. It's like a year old or so. I kept trying, and the car wouldn't start. And it's cold. I mean, this is wintertime, and there's ice on the car, and, and I'm tired, and I'm cold, and I, I can't call my wife for any help because it's 1.30 in the morning, and, and, and she's asleep. And so I'm out there for, must have been 15, 20 minutes sitting in that car, crying in my beer and, and singing the blues and, and, and thinking, you know, woe is me, my life's like a country song and, and uh, my car won't start and I can't get home. And then suddenly it started. And then I remembered why. I had forgotten to put my foot on the brake. In that not every car is like this, but in that particular car, you had to press on the brake before you could turn the key and it would start. You see, without remembering, that's muscle memory, right? I mean, that's not even something you do consciously, but my muscles forgot. And without memory, sitting there in that car, it's like nothing makes sense anymore. Well, the women were confused in our gospel lesson for this morning. They were confused about the empty tomb. They were perplexed. That's the way it's worded there. They were confused. It didn't make sense until they remembered the words of the Lord, which they had forgotten. And that's letter B. Only by remembering the words of Jesus are the women able to understand why the tomb is empty. They need the explanation. And they had forgotten it. And let her see, memory governs our behavior. It governs our behavior. I remember, again, many years ago, uh, we were living in Texas, and uh, we were up in the Metroplex, which is like the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's called the Metroplex. And we're at a restaurant up there, like a Bob Evans or something, and Anna was maybe uh, four or five years old, and she ordered like these fried chicken fingers with gravy. And you know, you dip the chicken finger in the gravy and you eat it and it's supposed to be really good. And, but that gravy turned out to be tainted. It had bacteria in it, you know. And we didn't discover that until she got sick a little while later. She got really sick. And I want to tell you, since that time, she hasn't gone near gravy, okay? Because when, when you have a bad experience with something, it stays with you, right? It, it determines your behavior. And the same is true with a positive experience. You know, if you have a good experience, then <laughs> that stays with you. You want to repeat that event if, if, if you can, right? Memory governs behavior. And, and so once the women remember his words, then they become the first witnesses of the resurrection. They go and they tell the disciples. Now, they don't believe yet. Okay, that's another story. But Roman numeral two, memory is foundational to faith. It's foundational to faith. Memory is. Letter A, faith does not normally move from promise to fulfillment, but it moves backward from fulfillment back to the promise. You see, you'll believe the promise after it's been fulfilled. You'll believe the person who spoke the promise 
after the promise he's spoken comes to pass. See, that's how it works. It goes backward to the promise. Page 10 in your bulletin. Luke 24, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now notice what they find. The stones rolled away. That's not expected. Verse 3, but when they went in, they did not find. Notice what they don't find. (laughs) They did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, notice the confusion now. They can't make sense of what's going on. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That's a clue. They're heavenly beings, right? Even though Luke calls them two men, the other gospel writers identify them as angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, which is appropriate when you're in the presence of an angel, that's what you want, you, you, you're scared. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now notice this, verse six, he is not here but has risen. That is the proclamation of Easter. Remember how he, now remember, notice that, mark that word. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. It must happen. That is to say, this is God's plan. It's not optional. He must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, so he must be delivered and then crucified and on the third day rise. That is the apostolic gospel in a nutshell. That's it. That's the good news. If you distill it down into a sentence, you just heard it. This is what the apostles will preach later in the book of Acts. And then verse 8, and they remembered, I emphasize that because it's repeated now. The word remember has been used twice. It's important. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so the women are confused until the angels refer the women back to Luke chapter 9, where Jesus first predicted his deliverance into the hands of sinful men, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Now, when he spoke those words in the hearing of his disciples, In Luke 9, they were confused. They didn't understand what he was talking about. It didn't make any sense to them. It didn't make any sense until after it came to pass. Then the disciples began to believe that the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus was God's plan all along. It was no coincidence. It was no accident. It's what God had always intended He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is how it works, okay? And that is the faith that the angels want you to have. They want you to know this is God's plan. This is God's will. That's what Luke wants you to believe. Letter B, only after the promise is fulfilled, only after it's fulfilled can you believe in the one making the promise. You know, in in the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples what's going to happen. And then he always adds this phrase, I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you will believe, okay? And so 
the resurrection, the coming true of the prediction, makes Jesus believable. It makes his words credible. That's the whole point. That's the point of fulfillment. Believe this man. Let her see. Only after the resurrection do the disciples remember and believe the scriptures and the words which Jesus had spoken. And I, I cite, there's many examples of this, but I cite John chapter 2 where uh, Jesus um, says in, in the temple, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. And everybody thinks he's talking about tearing down this limestone temple in Jerusalem. But he's speaking of the temple of his body. And John, John adds, none of us understood this at the time, but after he was raised, then we got it, <laughs> okay? Then, then we believed his words, you see, and, and the scriptures which predicted it all. So now it's true that in our gospel reading for this morning, the disciples are actually, they're actually the first skeptics about the resurrection, which only proves that the resurrection was not something they were expecting. It's not something they made up. But when Jesus appears to them, just a few verses after our gospel reading, when he appears to them in Luke 24, what does he do? What does he do? He repeatedly refers them back to the Old Testament scriptures. Why? And he refers them back to his own predictions. Why? Because the fulfillment of the scriptures and his words, that is the foundation for faith. That's it, you see. That's the foundation for faith. Roman numeral three. If memory serves discipleship, forgetfulness then results in apostasy. Forgetfulness results in backsliding. It is true throughout the scriptures. When the people of God forget who they are, they go astray. When they forget the one who redeemed them, they fail. God said through the prophet Jeremiah, my people make offerings to false gods which cannot deliver because they have forgotten me, their savior. You see, the forgetfulness leads to the apostasy. In Roman numeral four, salvation, salvation results from God remembering his promises. Now letter A, the bad news is we forget God's promises. We do that quite often. But the good news is, God forgets, he forgets something too. He forgets our sins, <laughs> okay? He forgets our forgetfulness. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people. You're living in that new covenant right now, by the way. I will write my law on their hearts and they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest because I, notice this, I will, number one, forgive their iniquity and number two, I will remember their sins no more. Now that's who God is. That's how he reveals himself in the gospel, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the God who forgives their iniquity, number one, and number two, remembers their sins no more. He does the whole thing, you see. God forgives you, and it is my privilege 
every Lord's Day to announce to you that you are fully and completely forgiven in Christ. You believe those promises, you trust in Him, you are forgiven. You have the personal gift of forgiveness that He won for all people, regardless of whether or not they believe, but they believe it and then they have it personally. That's how it works. It's received by faith. You are already forgiven in Christ and God remembers your sins and mine no more. And let her be the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is to bring to remembrance the words and the promises of God. You know, God works over the span of time. His plan unfolds over time. But how do you understand what's happening to you in the present unless you can recall what God has said and done in the past? If you can't recall what God has said and done in the past, then what he's doing in the present in your life will make absolutely no sense to you. For example, when you publicly identify as a Christian, when you practice your faith openly, some people will not like that. Some will oppose you. Some friends and family members may avoid you. And that makes no sense. You wonder why. Why would that be? Until you recall the words of Jesus who warned that faithfulness to him will cause division, even in families. My friends, when you recall the words of Jesus from the past, then the alienation that you experience in the present, it's no surprise. Then it's no shock. It kind of even sort of makes sense. Or, when you hear of some Christians being outrageously generous in their giving, you may wonder why. Why won't they keep more of their money for themselves? Wouldn't they be happier if they did? Wouldn't that be more enjoyable, have more money in your pocket? It's because those Christians have remembered the words of our Lord who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. They've stepped out in faith, they've given sacrificially, and they've discovered that his word is in fact true. There is greater joy in giving than in receiving. There's more satisfaction in serving than in being served. There really is. But you don't know until you try. When you recall God's faithfulness in the past, it gives you confidence that he will be faithful to you in the present. As you recall how God forgave the horrendous sins of David or Peter or Paul, you are strengthened in your faith that God will forgive you as well. And he already has there at the cross. My friends, the more you remember what God has said and done back then, the better you can understand what's happening to you now. Because God has not changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The angels in our gospel lesson for this morning remind the women of that, and the purpose of preaching is to remind you of that as well, because you can't make sense of the past or the present without an awareness of the past. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds 
through Christ Jesus, 